and, and understand. Um, so I want us to look at the topic um, of biblical theology of election. Okay. Um, and so <coughs> this is something that as a church uh, we have kind of wrestled with <laughs> for the last two years. And um, uh, I wanna, want us to see, because new, usually when we talk about this topic, we look at it from the New Testament only, right? Pa- certain passages of Scripture. But what, I, what I'm trying to do is help us to see that everything in the Bible, both Old Testament and the New Testament, is all about Jesus Christ. Okay? Everything is all about Jesus. Jesus is the central figure in all of Scripture. Okay? Um, now, in the Old Testament, although Jesus um, in his humanity is not, you know, pictured, right, um, we do have glimpses of, of Jesus in the Old Testament, okay? I guess the most, the easiest one uh, to say is Isaiah chapter 6, right, um, where Isaiah says he saw the Lord seated on the throne and uh, high and lifted up. And Jesus in John chapter 12 says, John, I mean, um, uh, Isaiah said this when he saw my glory, so we do see Jesus throughout, uh, glimpses of, of, of Jesus in his pre-incarnate um, form in various ways uh, in the Old Testament. But listen to what Jesus says uh, real quickly. I want us to look in, um, in John so we can see this, and then we'll, we'll look at just a couple passages in uh, Genesis. John chapter 5, and forgive me, I didn't open in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, allowing us to see your word. I pray that you would open our eyes, help us to understand what your word says, even the difficult parts, even the parts that uh, don't sit well with us uh, emotionally. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to take all of your word as your word, because your word is truth. Um, I pray that you would give us the ability to understand and to see what you have been doing in all of history to create a people for yourself in your kingdom. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And I'm going to read these verses um, briefly. I'm not going to read large sections. John chapter 5, verse 39 Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which speak of me. Now, of course, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament scriptures, because the New Testament has not been written yet. And Jesus is saying that the Jews are trying to search the scriptures to find a way for salvation, but they are missing the point because all of scripture, all of the Old Testament, is speaking about Jesus. He says something similar in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, We all are familiar with this story. I'm not going to read all of it, but we know uh, that Jesus has risen from the dead and his disciples are extremely sad because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that would come and deliver the nation of Israel and bring the kingdom of God. Jesus meets two of these disciples on the road to Emmaus and he begins to have this conversation with them. Verse 18, then one of, of whose, um, one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened the, here these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be conti- condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, 
and certain women of our com company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So again, Jesus takes this time with some of his disciples to explain to them how all the Old Testament scripture from Moses all the way through the prophets are speaking about him. Jesus is the end, the goal, the purpose, the fulfillment, and the central figure of all of the Bible, and that includes the Old Testament. So what I want us to do as I'm working our way through uh, the book of Genesis, okay, so I said before this is, is, is roughly our um, third time in the last 12 years, you know, looking at um, parts of, of the book of Genesis. And so the first time I think we uh, uh, went through it um, uh, for the rela our relationship series. OK, so we looked at it relationally about, you know, marriage and grandchildren and, and, and all of that good stuff. Uh, the second time we kind of worked our way through each um, chapter in um, one through twenty five. Uh, this time, I want us to look at it more from a biblical theology perspective, being able to see in the Old Testament how there is a theme running throughout the scripture, how God is working in and through the lives of the people that he calls to himself so that he can bring about salvation to the world. Now, what I want us to see, as uh, my title um, explains, is there is a clear theme of election or God choosing those that he wants to save. Um, some people may call it predestination. Okay? Um, there's a clear theme of this of election that runs through the scriptures. And when I say election, I mean that God selects those people who will be saved. Now, again, I understand that um, this is a very... Um, Touchy um, um, conversation, touchy topic. Um, we have been raised on the idea of free will, right? Um, I have the free will to choose God. I have the free will to reject God. I have the free will to do whatever I want. Okay. But that's not a biblical idea. God has given us free will. That is true. But it is not what we call libertarian free will. Now, I'm not going to get into um, all of the various viewpoints on free will. If you would love um, um, some good reading that will put you to sleep at night, let me know. I will, will and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I will, will give you um, some reading over the last 1,600 years explaining uh, the various viewpoints of free will, uh, starting with St. Augustine. Okay. <laughs> um, however in the brief time that we have, just take my word for it, okay? <laughs> okay. Now listen, what I wanted to do really quickly is look at, at a couple of passages of Scripture and, and see um, this idea of God selecting people for himself in the text. Okay. Um, the easiest um, for us to do is, is to start with Noah, okay? Let's start with Noah, Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to run through these briefly. Genesis chapter 6. We know up until this point, um, Adam and Eve sinned, okay? Mankind is now divided into two groups of people, um, those who, who follow the Lord, call upon his name, and those who continue to sin against him. And we see that uh, through the, the genealogies up until this point, God is, is, is moving through a particular bloodline, right, in order to bring about the seed of the woman that he referenced in Genesis chapter 3. Now, when we get to chapter 6, 
we uh, um, some people are confused, okay, because um, we have been somehow sometimes raised to believe that this passage is about um, angels who procreated with human beings. That is not what this text is, is about, okay. Um, reference all of that we've talked about in, in Bible study. Okay. But here we see that all mankind is sinful before the Lord, and God is going to destroy mankind and start over. He selects Noah. The question is, why does he select Noah? Okay. Listen to what the text says, Genesis chapter 6. I'm not going to read all of the verses down to it. I'm going to just read verse 8 to save time. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And of course, you know, it's easier. The easiest phrase for us to remember is grace is God's unmerited favor. It is God's favor that we do not deserve. Noah was not more righteous than everyone else. He found grace. God extended him grace. God picked him for his purpose and his family was saved. Um, Again, we see with Abraham, if you turn over to Genesis chapter 12, I'm not going to read these three verses. We talked about these three verses last Sunday. But again, we know that Abraham um, was, a, was, a, was a pagan, probably an idol worshiper from Mesopotamia. And God picked Abraham, right? He could have picked anyone and done the same thing with Abraham because he picked Abraham and shaped Abraham's faith by having a relationship with him. Okay, if we were to skip to chapter 18, which we will not, we see the purpose why God picked Abraham. He says, I have chosen you so that you can teach your family to love me. That's it. Not because he was more righteous. We can look at the life of Abraham and see he was not more righteous. Okay. He, he put his, made his, uh, sent his wife off to be a concubine of two different men. Okay. God said, I'm going to give you a, a, a descendant, and God wasn't moving fast enough, so he helped God out. Okay. He did not pick Abraham because he was more righteous than anyone else. He picked him because he wanted to. We see the same thing in Genesis chapter 17. God picks Isaac over Ishmael. We know that Abraham has a child with Hagar. And God then appears to Abraham and tells him that Sarah is going to have a child. Listen to what Abraham says to God. Chapter 17, verse 17 Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear children? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Abraham says, God, why don't you choose the son that I have to be the son of the inheritance, the son of the covenant? God says, no, I'm going to choose your next son, the second born, which breaks all of the rules of the day, right? Because the firstborn is the child who inherits everything. I'm going to take the second child he is going to be the one I established my covenant with. I'm not going to choose I, um, Ishmael. I'm going to choose Isaac. See, God makes the choice. We also see the same thing in the next generation. God chooses Jacob over Esau. Chooses Jacob over Esau. Look at Genesis chapter 25. We know that Rebecca is pregnant. She's pregnant with twins. She has two children in her womb, right? And and there's some kind of a commotion. She's worried. She prays. (laughs) And listen to what God says to Rebecca about her two children. 
Genesis chapter 25, verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two peoples shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, of course, we'll look at this in a moment when we look in the book of Romans, uh, but, but Paul makes uh, a point about this, about these two children. He says that there were two children in the room, in the womb, right, they were in the room, but they, but they were also in the womb, okay, and he says before either child could do anything good or bad, before they could do anything good or bad, it's not based on their behavior, it's not based on their choice, it's not based on anything. He says, but so that the election of God might stand, so that God's choice might stand. The word says, the younger will serve the older. You know what I mean. Okay, <laughs> the older will serve the younger. Okay, and then he goes on to say, "That's why the Bible says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated." Okay, now hate is not being used the way we we use it, right? But his point is, is that I picked one, and not the other. And it's not based on their actions because they had not been born yet. It wasn't based on their will because they had not been born yet. It was not based on one chose me and the other rejected me because they had not been born yet. It is about God picking one and not the other. Everyone see that? The same thing is said about the nation of Israel. We can look in several passages. To save time, I'll give you these. You can look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. You can look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. And you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. There are other passages of Scripture. But basically, all of these texts says the same thing. It says that God picked the nation of Israel not because they were better than other nations or bigger than other nations, but he picked them simply because he loved them. That's it. And he says, I'm picking you to be my special possession above all other nations. He picked one nation for no reason, <laughs> in our <laughs> from our perspective, right, to be his special possession above all other nations. Now, when we come to the New Testament, Right. Because I, I want us to see this path. This this theme is running through all out all of Scripture. I'm giving you a lot of texts, um, a lot of passages of Scripture. I took time to explain and talk about each one in, in Bible study. But um, for those who are, are not here, I wanted to run through these again. And then I want to give us the significance of why this is important. Jesus says the same thing uh, to his disciples. Okay. Look in John chapter 15. He says the same thing to his disciples. These are his disciples that uh, he is having to go out and to preach and to teach. But listen to what he says to them. John chapter 15, one verse, verse 16, 15, 16, John 15, 16. To all of those people who, I love when people are like, you know, when I found Jesus, I was like, ooh, when was Jesus lost? <laughs> you mean you mean when Jesus found you? Okay. Okay. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, and this is in this is in red in your Bible, right? All right. So you know that's from Jesus. Okay. You do know that. You know. You do know that's not original, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but okay, they didn't. You know, the papyrus. They didn't switch colors and write in red. Okay. But listen <laughs> to what he says to his disciples. You did not choose me. 
you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. I want us to see that this idea of God choosing people for himself runs throughout all of Scripture. And then I'm going to make sure that we understand that that I'm not contradicting what the Bible says, because I know running through some people's minds um, are are, are many scriptures, right? Uh, One being, um, whosoever will, let him come. Um, uh, You may be be hearing in, uh, in your mind, God wants all men to be saved and come to uh, the, um, the knowledge of, of repentance, right? And I, and, and I want us to see that I'm not contradicting any of those, those passages of Scripture. Um, what I want us to see is how these passages of Scripture work together. Okay. Now listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I know I'm giving you a lot of scriptures. Just write them down. Go back and read them later. And then I'm going to explain how all of these work together. John chapter 6. If you remember back to our series in the Gospel of John, I spent some time in in John chapter 6 so that we can see what Jesus is saying here. Of course, we know in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? And after he feeds the 5,000, uh, he, they go to sleep, he gets on the boat, and he leaves, and, and they wake up in the morning, and, and they, they, they wonder where's breakfast, <laughs> okay? And so they start going from city to city until they find Jesus, and they say, Jesus, what happened? Where did you go? And he says, you are not following me, right, because of me. You're, you're following me because it's breakfast time, and uh, you're hungry, okay? And so he tells them, don't labor for the food that perishes, right? Labor for the food that endures for eternal life. And, and we have the famous statement that he makes, I am the bread of life. And he goes on to talk about how those uh, who come to him must eat his body and drink his blood. And, and, and they're like, whoa, whoa, this is a little too far for us, Jesus. Okay, what do you mean? And so his point is, you have to trust in me. I am the spiritual food that, that you need. And they're like, whoa, that's not, we're not for that kind of a commitment, Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says. He has a theory on why these people do not come to him. Verse 44. Verse 44. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day and notice in verse 43 he's like do not mumble among yourselves you can't come to me unless my father is drawing you you cannot come to me unless my father reaches out remember we looked, we looked at the word it means to drag <laughs> okay my father has to grab a hold of you in your sin and your rebellion and drag you on over to me He says the same thing in verse 65. He says, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. You cannot even come to me unless my Father gives you permission first. That's a a big problem for the people with the hold to free will. I can choose them if I want. I can reject them if I want. You can't even come to me unless my father gives you permission. God has to select those who come to him. Last passage of scripture before I, well, no, it's not the last passage, but before I go to my next point. (laughs) Y'all know me. (laughs) I'm going to skip. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. This is the passage of scripture that that, that did it for me, okay? Um, For me, uh, growing up in in, in a Baptist church, um, I was, you know, full-blown Arminian. <laughs> right? I was, I was completely sold on. Everybody has free will. 
We can choose them. We can reject them. And so my first year of uh, a seminary, we, you know, for some reason, my dorm room was like, you know, like the debate club. You know, we just sit around till like four o'clock in the morning. We just be like going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so somehow we got to election. I was like, man, let me, let me take on these Calvinist people. You know, let me set these people straight. And so I remember about four o'clock in the morning, one morning we were talking and, and they hit me with Acts chapter 13. And I was like, I was like, oh, I'm getting tired. I got to, you know, I got to go to class in the morning. You know, give me some time. I'm going to get back to you. <laughs> right? And I wrestled with this scripture for weeks. And I was like, I don't, I don't have an answer. Oh, I, I'm in the commentaries. I'm digging up. I'm looking at word studies in Greek. And I'm just like, nope. They say what it say. <laughs> you know, none of the none of the solutions were, were satisfying to me. And so. I had to change my position. Listen to what, what, what Luke says. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Listen to what he says. He's talking about Paul and Barnabas. They're doing their missionary journeys. They're going around preaching. And as is their custom, they go to the Jews first. And when the Jews reject the gospel, then they turn to the Gentiles. They're preaching to a crowd of people, a mixed crowd of people. And, and what happens is some in the group receive what they say accept the gospel, and are saved. And others reject what they say, and they walk away. Listen to the reason that Luke gives for why some reject the gospel and why some that were there received the gospel. Listen to what it says, verse 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As many as who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now you have a crowd of people standing around. They all hear the gospel. Some of them put their trust in Christ. And the reason that some of them put their trust in Christ is because they had been appointed to believe. That means the other ones who did not receive (laughs) the gospel did not receive it because, why? They had not been appointed to believe. On the words of John chapter 6, they had not been drawn by the Father. They had not had been granted it to believe by the Father. Everyone see that? Now, salvation, what I'm trying to get us to, uh, to see here is salvation is by grace it's by the mercy of God and in God's mercy he has selected some people of all the people we'll see this in in the next um, passage that we look look at look at the reason that this is difficult for for us is because we we think that if God has picked some people to go to heaven and not others to go to heaven, that's just not fair. Right? It's okay. You know, he, he's not going to strike any of us with, with a bolt of light and then I promise you, I promise you. It, it's not fair. It's not fair if all of us have sinned and all of us deserve to go to hell. It's not fair for God to pick some people and not others, right? Now, I love to have conversations because all we got to do is just flip it around, okay? We, we think it's not fair for, 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 for God. So let me ask you this question. You ride down the street. Now, if you were like me, you lived downtown Baltimore, okay? Every single light you get to on Martin Luther King, there's somebody on the corner asking for money, right? Every single. Now, I lived there for five years, and it's the same exact people at the, sa- at the same exact time every single day, right? And then, it, the, you know, you could tell when it's time for them to switch shifts because it's like, you know, they, they congregate in one spot, they shake hands, and then that person leaves, and the next one take the corner. Okay, That's neither here nor there. But... <laughs> but, 
But if you're if you're riding down the street and you stop and you give money to one person on the corner and you don't give any money to everyone else on the corner and they approach you and say, hey, that's not fair. You gave him money. You didn't give me any money. What do you say? You say, boy, you better get out of my face. <laughs> I can give my money to whomever I choose. Right? Right? Because you give money to one person does not mean you are obligated to give money to everybody. And you're not being unfair to the people that you did not give money to. Right? You just showed grace to the person that you did, correct? Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Paul addresses this very accusation that God's Either God's word is not powerful enough to bring about what it says it will bring about, or God is being unfair. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 9. He's addressing this because there's an obvious problem in the fact that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, many of them in Paul's generation is reje- has rejected Christ, and yet the Gentiles are putting their trust in Jesus. Paul is addressing this here, excuse me, starting off by saying that he wished that he himself would be accursed so that his countrymen, according to the flesh, the Jews, could be saved. He would choose to go to hell so that he could save his own people, is his point. Literally says, starting at verse 6, he says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. We just saw that scripture in the book of Genesis. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. So just because you are born a Jew does not automatically mean that you are a part of the people of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, so that God's purpose in his pick might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God being unfair? Is God being unjust? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Now, again, this is alluding to uh, to the Exodus where Moses goes and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord, neither will I let your people go. And so uh, God sends these plagues, and and eventually Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, no, no, take your people and go. (laughs) Just leave your livestock. And next verse. But God hardened his heart, and he would not let the people go. Wait a minute, I thought Pharaoh had free will. (laughs) he, He freely chose to say, go ahead and leave. And then God hardened his heart so that he changed his mind and would not let the people go. Says, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of he who has free will. Is that in your text? It's not of him who wills. I, I want y'all to see it. So you're like, he's making that up. It is not of him who 
wills, okay, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I will raise you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Because God needed to crush him in order to glorify himself. That's it. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to, the, um, to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, oh man, who do you think you are? <laughs> okay, that's my, you know, that's my 2020, you know, translation of what Paul says. <laughs> who do you think you are questioning God? But indeed, oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he prepared before, um, beforehand for glory? Now, the thing I want us to notice in this text that we made a point of on, on Wednesday night in Bible study is this. Why does Paul say... In verse 22, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And in verse 23, he says, vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Why does he say that the vessels of wrath are prepared for destruction, but then says that the vessels of of mercy God has prepared? And the answer is, when we look at the Greek text and all of these things, is the vessels of wrath prepared themselves for destruction. It's in the middle voice. They did this to themselves. We sinned against God. We rebel against God. He gives all of us mercy. The Bible says that he shows, um, he um, sends rain and, and, and sunshine on the just as well as the unjust. He does so many things in all of our lives and we still turn our backs on him. Even as Christians, after receiving God's grace and his mercy and all of the blessings and benefits, we still, to put it in Paul's words in Hebrews, we take Jesus's blood and we trample it under our feet by purposefully choosing to sin. We send ourselves to hell. Now, instead of God sending us on our merry way, (laughs) he picks some. Give me that one, that one, that one, that one. Give me that one, give me that one. Give me that one, that one, that one, that one. He picks some people to show mercy to instead of giving them the justice that they deserve. Now, as R.C. Sproul has said, that is not being unfair to the people who go to hell. They deserve to go to hell. They sent themselves. He's not being unjust. He's being just. He's being fair. He's giving them what they deserve. But on those that he has picked, he's not giving them justice. Because all of the people running around saying, God's not being fair. The answer is he should send you to hell too if you want him to be fair. Just for the record. (laughs) When you say, God's not being fair, what you mean is, God, I want you to send me to hell too. Because that's the only fair thing to do. The only fair thing to do is not bring everybody to heaven. The only fair thing to do is send everybody to hell. But in his mercy, he has selected some to show grace on. Now, two last things I want to say about this before I'm done. 
number one is how does this fit with the idea of free will in scripture? Because the Bible does actually say that we have to put our faith and trust in Christ, right? We have to exercise faith. God will not do that for us. Okay. So I want you to turn to the book of Philippians <coughs> so we can see this. I was actually talking to someone a couple weeks ago, and and um, and they they were talking to someone else, and they were asking me questions, and they uh, brought up <laughs> this passage of scripture, and I, I say I just love it when people, you know, they 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 pick one verse, it's just one. Now, as I taught you all, whenever someone gives you a passage of scripture, you read three verses, at least three verses above, three verses below. Okay, usually that's enough to catch it when people are, you know, taking something out of context. Now, listen to what, what the Bible says here. And I, so I can, we can see just in one verse, I can take you to other scriptures, just in one verse how all of this fits together. God's selection of those who will be saved and also us having to exercise our own will in order to accept that salvation. Now, the person quotes Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to what it says. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, that, that just proves it. <laughs> it's not God is not picking anything. It's, it's us. You know, we have to work out our own salvation. It's about what we do. Okay. Now, let's apply the rule. Okay, we're not going to go three verses above or three verses below. We're just going to pick one verse. Just one verse below. This is what I, lo- what I love. Paul just does it so beautifully in this verse. And every time I, every time some, I, you know, I, I have to use this verse on somebody, they're like, don't have an answer. Okay. Listen to what Paul says. Let's read everything that Paul says in context. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, because... <laughs> The reason that you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is because it is God who works in you. Both to will, that is to exercise your will, (laughs) okay, and to do, to perform it, okay, for his good pleasure. The reason that you can work out your salvation Okay, whether it's to exercise your free will to um, trust in Christ or, or, or whatever. The reason that you can work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is because God is working in you to strengthen your will, to give you the ability to choose and to do what pleases him. God is giving you the ability to do it. Go do it. <laughs> you see that? God's election, God's choice, and our free will are not at odds with one another. It's not. When God gives you the free will, the, the freedom, right, when he, when he draws you, when he calls you, when he tells you what he wants you to do, his calling is the enablement to go and do what he is calling you to do, whether that's salvation or to live a life that pleases him. Everyone see that? Okay. Now, Paul gives us a summary. This is my last passage of scripture. I promise this is my last one. Ephesians chapter one. (laughs) Why has God done this? Why has God done it this way? Why has God allowed some people to continue on their way in sin and rebellion against him and ultimately to end up in hell, but giving others grace so that they can uh, have eternal life and, and, and go to heaven? Paul answers this question, I believe, in Ephesians chapter 1. He uses this phrase three times in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read all of these verses so that you can see it, and then I'll be done. He says, start in verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Again, you all know Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he 
chose us. Okay. <laughs> he picked you. Just as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. He chose you in Christ before he even created the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Have predestined us to adoption as daughters <laughs> by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he pick us before the world began? It just it pleased him, it made him happy. He 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 picked those that he would save because it makes him happy. He looked at you and me and even though there is nothing in us that deserves um, to merit his favor, he picked you because it made him happy. To the praise of the glory of his grace, verse 6, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He did all of this so that we could praise him for his glorious grace. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in himself, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He did all of this so that you will praise him for his glorious grace. Verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our in inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He did all of this so that you will praise him for his glorious grace. On the day of our salvation, ultimate salvation, when we make it to heaven, and when all everything is, is said and done and God has destroyed the last enemy and, and, and all of those who are in rebellion to him has been cast into the lake of fire to burn forever and ever and ever. I can imagine all of us going over <laughs> and, and, and looking down and realizing that should be me. Because he found me. I did not find him. Okay, he wasn't lost. I was. <laughs> okay. He found me in my sin, in my rebellion. And even after he found me, we continued to walk away from him and trample his blood of his sacrifice under our feet. And he still saved us. He did not give us what we deserve. And then I can imagine us turning around. Amen. That was a that was that, good job. <laughs> good job, coach. <laughs> okay. We will forever praise him for his glorious grace. That's why he did it. God has throughout all of scripture this idea that God has chosen for himself the people that he will save, the idea runs from Genesis through Revelation. And although this is a, a very difficult doctrine, although it's something that we, we wrestle with, right, what we have to learn how to do is to praise God for his glorious grace. Now, he could just as easily swip, switch the two groups, there, there was nothing in the group that made them better than the other group. <laughs> okay. He did not pick us simply because 
we were somehow better than the ones who, who are, not, are not chosen. He could switch the groups, and it would make no difference at all. And when we know these things, what we should learn how to do is wrestle with it, of course. It's a very difficult, difficult doctrine to, uh, to wrestle with. But ultimately, our wrestling should lead us to praise. Because for some inscrutable reason, God picked me. And for all of eternity, I'll be able to show him my gratitude for doing so. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that before the world began, you being an omniscient God, knowing all of our sin, knowing all of our failures, knowing all the things that even the other people sitting in this room don't know about us, knowing even in the future all of the rebellion that we will have against you. You picked us for yourself. Knowing all the things about us, the things that are in the secret places of our hearts, the things that go through our minds, the things that we say and do when no one else is around, you still picked us for yourself. Not because we deserved it, but because it pleased you. It made you happy. Lord, our desire should be the same as Paul, that we should be accursed so that other people could come to Christ. And we should labor to spread the gospel so that every person that you have chosen could quickly come into you. But Lord, I pray that you would help us in wrestling with this, this idea, that you would teach us how to worship. Help us to leave the things that are above our pay grade to you and just worship you because you picked us even though we don't deserve it. That means that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And that should also give us the confidence that if you have picked us and selected us before the world began, we are in no danger of losing that salvation because it was something that you planned before we were even born. You will bring to completion everything that you have started in us. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we can stand before you and bow at your feet and praise you for your glorious grace. And for all eternity, we can thank you because we know that our salvation is all about you and not about us. We thank you now for all these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I could have continued. I just wanted, you know, on, but I'm over.